Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context. And as part of our stewardship series, and again, I remind you, we put this package together because a lot of my peer are asking me questions that Cindy and I have been asking ourselves and others over the years. How do you handle your money, your estate, your planning? A lot of us are out of debt. A lot of us are maybe close to being out of debt or maybe retire or retiring. I'm shocked how many of my peer don't have estates. They don't have a will. They haven't sat down with a financial planner. They go, well, I don't have enough money. I go, yes, you do. And in God's kindness, Cindy and I have been blessed to have some extraordinary help in our financial planning. And as part of that story, we were introduced to the Cumberland Trust. Our guest today is Michelle Diamond. She's a trust officer. She helps establish an open architecture platform that focuses on helping families and forming partnerships with advisors. So in our case, our planner knew of Michelle and said, you guys need to talk to each other. The Cumberland Trust grew, and Michelle developed a blueprint for expansion into regional markets, and she worked to open up nine more offices. Currently, she manages the business development team. She works with Cumberland Trust headquarters in each of its regional offices. She's responsible to oversee and develop the team and new trust opportunities. She has her BA from Hanover College in Hanover, Indiana, and she was awarded a certificate trust and financial advisor designation. She's a graduate of the Cannon Trust School through the Cannon Financial Institute. Michelle, thanks for jumping on the podcast with us today. Uh, my, my pleasure. So let's start for people that, let's just give some sort of primer basics. What's a trust? Because people think, I don't have enough money to have a trust. What's a trust? How do I use the trust? So, so help us out. Give us sort of the ABCs of what a trust is and what a trust can do for you. That's a great question, Michael. And I think you hear all sorts of different examples or analogies. And the one that I use most often is the trust is a bucket. You know, a trust is a bucket to hold assets, resources, whatever you want to put in the bucket. And a trust document or a will or a properly drafted estate plan give the instructions um, to a trustee, who's also named in that same document, of how you as the owner or creator of that wealth, what you want to have happen to those assets in the bucket. And those trusts can be established during your lifetime. They can be established upon your passing. There's a lot of flexibility in how that can happen. But that, in its very simplest form, it's a bucket. And it holds the assets that you want to put in there. And you're giving instructions to someone about what you want to have happen with those assets, either while you're here still among us or after you're gone. Now, a lot of people that just heard you and me say these things are going to say, I don't have enough money to put in a trust. Right. So, you know, what's really interesting when you think about estate planning is if you have any assets at all, there are certain ways that you can go through your estate plan. And and I, I want to kind of put an asterisk and say, I am not an attorney, uh, Michael. But I joke that in being in this industry for almost 30 years, I, I like to say that I play one on TV. So I, I probably am more dangerous than what I know. And you but, stayed in a so Holiday Inn, right? From a caveat right? perspective, it's all, <laughs> that's right. Holiday Inn Express last night. That's right. But, you know, I think it's important if you have not had a conversation with an estate planning attorney, that's always a great start. But we speak with advisors and families so often to just kind of provide that basic level of education before that happens. So if you have any assets, retirement assets, bank accounts, you know, if you don't have a will or a trust to say what you want to happen to those assets, there is a procedure that somebody else is going to decide where those assets go. So even if families or individuals think they don't have a lot of assets, it is worthy of a conversation with an estate planning attorney. Just share what you have 
and what your plans are so that that can be documented accordingly. The only really other option is in certain situations with a financial planner, if the only asset you had was a retirement account, there's a beneficiary designation that will say what happens to that account. But for the most part, we all have assets, personal property, life insurance policies. There are definitely pieces of the puzzle that just need a review and a direction of what you want to have happen when something happens to you. And you didn't mention a home because most folks, I mean, that's going to be a big asset for them. And so uh, unless you're, you know, stepping down or, or uh, you know, reducing your overhead, going into assisted living or something, that's going to be a big chunk of change for somebody. The other thing that's an anomaly, it seems, but maybe not, a lot of people inherit money they don't know they were going to get. I don't have a rich uncle. I never had a rich aunt. We received money from an uncle that was nothing to sneeze at over a period of years. When Cindy's dad passed away, we received money we were not aware we were getting. So even though they didn't live a, a wealthy life, they weren't you know uh, traveling on yachts or whatnot, they left money to their kids and grandkids. And so that's one thing, again, you don't really know until you sit down with a financial planner and say, what are the options? And what if we did get an asset, a house, a car, a boat given to us, maybe a piece of property that was in your parents' possession? You, you didn't know they had. And now all of a sudden it's in a will and you and your siblings are getting it. What are you going to do with it? So, And I think the other thing, and you see this more than me, obviously, but just in our peer, when they lose a family member, Cindy's parents and my parents were all gone, dealing with those assets. And after they die, it's a nightmare. Even if everything's in order, it's painful. And so one of the things we're trying to do, we're trying to get ahead of it. So, you know, I mean, I'm not ready to go home tomorrow, but if I was going home tomorrow to the Lord, you know, we're in a position where there's very few things that need to be done. And you mentioned earlier before we started recording, one of the things, the basic thing, you need an executor, someone who has the power, you know, if, if one of you dies and the other one's incapable or unable or unwilling to make decisions, that that power goes to someone. Typically, that's a family member. Right. What's the problem with that, Michelle? We now make this oldest child the executor and... Yeah, they're already busy. They're living their own lives. They've got jobs. You know, I think two things, you know, Michael, I want to commend you for having a plan in place because that is actually a gift to your family in so many aspects. Because if you've gone through the exercise of having a plan, it is a different kind of gift because at least you've outlined what you want to have moving forward. It is incredibly labor intensive. And we work with so many families. And one of my favorite stories is there is an attorney that we've worked with in the past. And when she sits down with families, you know, there's a perception that it's almost an honor to ask a family member to serve in mm -hmm. that role. And I think sometimes this particular attorney said, well, you know, tell me about the child that you've chosen or, who, well, I've chosen my oldest. You know, they're the ones that their siblings look up to. They're the most responsible. They're, you know, running a business. They have a family of their own. And the longer they talk, you realize how busy those people are. And so at the same time, there's a, an obligation. Well, mom and dad asked me to do this. They expected me to do this. And what we often see is a lack of awareness of all the steps that have to happen. And so they're burdened by those decisions. And so we like to share with advisors and families, you know, it's just important to call a resource and walk through. If you've got a good estate planning attorney that's part of it, they should be able to provide that guidance to that individual that's serving. There's also nothing wrong with, I say, you know, throwing up the white flag and saying, we just need somebody to guide us through these steps. Because somebody who does it like an independent or corporate trustee 
our bank trust department who does it every day knows how to navigate those situations. I recently, a couple of years ago, lost my closest friend and all of her family was out of state. So by default, I jumped in because I was here and I'm in this industry. And even in that case, I'm still dealing, you know, two and a half years later with issues. And so it, it is it is a burden. And having just the resources at your disposal to be able to navigate through yeah. is what's most important. You know, my father passed away before mom. And when he died, my, I have an older brother and older sister. We kind of divided and conquered tasks. And I was tasked with getting an EIN. I didn't know what an EIN was. And I had to go to the bank and to a notary and fill out forms. And then I got the wrong information. And then I'm talking to Social Security. And I mean, the left hand, right hand, I about lost my sanctification just trying to get a number before we could go to the next step. And it was such an education. And so I thought, again, to your point, you know, there's no reason. And again, we we tell couples in their 30s and 40s, start now. This is not too early to start thinking about this. I mean, God forbid you have a car accident and, you know, one of you dies or you both die. But goodness, what, as you said, a gift. Um, Let's go back again a step. So you're talking to a couple. They're in their 30s or 40s. They've got a mortgage. They maybe have some education loans. They're trying to get their kids set with a college savings plan. They got some predictable expenses in front of them. How does someone like Cumberland Trust help in that process? So a lot of times, Michael, we get the call because maybe they had a preliminary conversation with a planner or a state planning attorney, and they just want to know how a family member could serve versus an organization or independent trustee like Cumberland Trust. And so we'll pick up the phone and just kind of consult with them and share, you know, when your children are little, probably the biggest decision within that estate plan is who's going to be guardian of the children, which really doesn't have anything to do with the finances. But just to give you a personal example, my children are almost 16 and 21. But when they were small, I had made the decision that I wanted the pool of assets, if something happened to my husband and I, I wanted them to have oversight. I didn't want whoever was the guardian of my children. Mm -hmm. That was going to be a job in and of itself. And I didn't want them to have the full burden of the financial aspects of it as well. And sometimes you just have to provide that layer of protection, both for your children and for those individuals. And an independent trustee or corporate trustee can provide that kind of checks and balances. So my personal estate plan when my children were young was, here is a family member who's going to be guardian of my children. Another family member is going to be a co-trustee with Cumberland on making any asset-related decisions. So we can just kind of walk through with families, what is the practical application of those decisions? And I've seen some families say, well, her family's going to take the kids and his family's going to take the finances. Okay, well, let's walk through what that actually looks like if something happens to you. And so I think the years of experience that all of our trust officers and administrators have, we've seen, I would pretend to say that we've seen everything. We haven't. We get stumped every day with a new situation or opportunity. But I think, you know, we can bring kind of a consistency of what we've seen year after year and supporting families. So that's what I love is the consultative aspects of what's in those documents and how it's going to impact when a trustee or individual has to make a decision. So give us, you said you're surprised all the time, but give us some scenarios that are pretty common that you do see uh, and, and how that works out. Well, you know, I, I, this won't come as a surprise to anyone, you know, Michael, that we have we have a lot of blended family situations. I mean, when statistically, you know, that 50 percent of marriages end in divorce, 
And especially in a higher net worth space, you often see a higher percentage or number of those families also in divorce. So you get, you know, now wait, 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 wait. You you just blew my mind. So higher wealth families have a higher incidence of divorce. Did I just hear that correctly? Absolutely correct. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. It just shows to go. Being wealthy or having a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to be happier. I'm sorry to interrupt, but just, that that was a new uh, epiphany for me today. Oh, okay. <laughs> so back to the trust. <laughs> I'm trying to recover. <laughs> no, you're fine. Take, take all the time you need. Yeah, because I mean, it, and, and as you it, want to logically go through it, if it's happened once, this, statistically, <sighs> it's going to happen again. I mean, it's just you you can just see, and like you said, and if that. Where did that wealth come from? Are we talking about the wealth creators and generators, or were th- are these also people who inherit it? So there's just kind of this fundamental, you know, transfer of wealth, especially in the higher net worth space, that is significant. So, but from a trustee perspective, what we often see is, you know, statistically, husband and wife, husband's going to pass away first. Right. So if he's passed away, current spouse is a second spouse, but also the beneficiaries of the wealth are the children from his first marriage. There's conflict from day one. I mean, and they can have great relationships. Yeah. They can, things can appear, you know, great, especially when the family is in, intact, even though it's a funded family. And so, again, naming those individuals. So, so one of the challenges that we saw years ago, and I, like you said, I have been at Cumberland since we turned the lights on in 2001. So, you know, one of the examples that we had was the three sons from the first marriage were named as a trustee when the father passed away. But the primary beneficiary of the trust was his second spouse. Well, anytime she had to ask for something, wow, she had to go to her stepson's kind of hat. You know, and at the same time, those boys were busy running the company that was generating a lot of the income that was supposed to flow to their stepmother. Well, they wanted to make the best business decisions, which may not always be in the best benefit of an income beneficiary of a trust. So just kind of bringing those scenarios into the conversation and help Helping families understand them and also advocating for for those beneficiaries and those co-trustees on each side. So sometimes we just come in as that independent voice. We have the emotional connection. Like we we care about these beneficiaries. We want to kind of work through it, but we also don't have a family history of coming into this and we can kind of be that objective party. One of the stories I always tell as we look at estate plans and review things is a lot of times families come to us and say, you know, we've garnered some wealth, whether it's you know, small amount of wealth or a significant amount of wealth. We don't want to give all these assets outright to our children, you know, at a young age. We want to make sure that they are productive members of society. So we want to find a way to incent behavior. You always want to incent the behavior that that you want represented in that estate plan. And so you'll hear the term trust fund baby. I, I don't want to trust fund baby. And so conceptually and walking through some of these ideas, they'll say, okay, well, Let's encourage them to be good wage earners and let's make a distribution from the trust in the same amount as their W-2 income. They make 20, let's give them 20,000. If they make 50,000, let's give it. And and in theory, that sounds logical. You know, that sounds like a good idea. But we had a, a just a heartbreaking experience several years ago when there was an automobile accident and that beneficiary sustained a traumatic brain injury and now is on disability and so down went their W-2 income, and according to the terms of the trust, down with the oh distributions. Boy. Never what the parents wanted or the family would have wanted. And we were able to remedy that situation by 
some modifications and some court approval. But what I find is beneficial to families is for them to kind of tell us their goals and objectives, to be able to review those documents as they've worked with their estate planning attorneys and, and planners, and just make sure that the practical application, when it goes into effect, has the outcome that they're looking for. Ron Blue wrote a book many years ago with Larry Burkett called Splitting Heirs, H-E-I-R-S. And uh, in that book, he essentially argued that you don't want to give your children a lot of money. And he's got case studies, even current case studies, of where this extraordinary wealth handed off to children and grandchildren just gets squandered and disposed of, as opposed to giving them some rails with what to do with it. I, I think I'm not sure on this because we do update this every year, but I think uh, when our kids you know, get the money they're supposed to get, we have in there, it's not, you'll tell me the right term, but it's basically a mandate that says, we want you to give 20% of this away to the charity of your choice. And think about this as a family of how you would give this money away. You know, I would have never thought of that if I hadn't heard Ron Blue tell that story many, many years ago. And I was like, brilliant, because you're teaching your kids generosity. Most of us did not anticipate we'd have the kind of income we have. And all of a sudden, it's like, well, yeah, I could buy a better car, and you may need a better car. But you know what? A gift to be able to give some money away that mom and dad worked hard. They didn't blow. They saved. They invest, and they gave it to us. That's a neat stewardship to teach your kids about managing uh, a money that it really isn't theirs anyway. Well, and and I, I think I love that, you know, Michael, because I think so many families want to make sure that those organizations that were important to them or the mission that was important to them or those the belief system that they want to pass on, there's definitely ways to do that. One of my favorite stories, we were working with a Texas family years ago, and I'm sitting with the, the matriarch at that point in time who was in her late 70s. And she said, and, and they had amassed significant wealth probably in the last 15 years of their life at that point. And she said, when my, she had two daughters, and she said, when my daughters were young, we didn't have this wealth. Right. So they didn't see us become incredibly philanthropic, but our grandchildren have. Mm -hmm. They've benefited from the gift of philanthropy, of seeing us and participating in, in the things that are important. And so there was a kind of a, a tax exemption reason that was coming up at the end of the year, and they had decided to make a very substantial gift. And at Thanksgiving, she told the two daughters, their two husbands, and the six grandchildren that when they got together at Christmas, they were going to make a decision of who to give this money away. And she challenged all of them, children and grandchildren, to research and make a presentation of where they wanted the money to go. And she said, it shouldn't have surprised me, but the adults didn't participate. And the grandkids were over the moon. Wow. And they all, when it came to it, they kind of evaluated each other. And then she let the grandchildren make the decision where the money was going to go. Fast forward a few years later, one of those grandchildren, there's substantial assets in that family to have created a foundation. And one of those grandchildren is executive director of the foundation nice. to carry forward that mission and vision that his grandparents had had. So just, you know, again, it's never too early. You know, one of the things, Michael, we also work with families who come into money for unexpected reasons. It could be a lawsuit, a settlement type of situation. And a lot of times those families come to us indigent. And helping them put a structure together or make a plan. And we had a family very early in Cumberland's existence, young mom and dad who, while well, they had a situation with a child, 
they didn't want to live off the child's trust, even though they were kind of getting their feet under him after this horrendous medical situation happened. And to put a plan together so ultimately they were independent while supporting their child. And so that ultimately that child would have the resources needed in the future if he needed them. That's not how things played out. They were able to do some really charitable things down the road. But again, you know, having that perspective of how those resources can be used as support and why that planning and the team that you have around you, that is what is most important. Um, An indelicate subject, but uh, you have families where, let's say you have three or four kids and one or more of the children are, are making really poor life choices. And uh, the, the mom and dad in you doesn't want to, quote, write them out of the will, close quote. But the wisdom part of you says it'd be foolish to break this up three or four ways. And we know that young man or woman would squander that money and they'd be gone in no time. So what kind of thing does Cumberland Trust and Trust in general offer as a tool so you're not, quote, cutting them out, but you're also being careful with how those funds are administered? So, Michael, there's a few ways we've seen that navigated. I mean, anyone can establish a trust for any reason as part of that state plan. And and in your scenario, you could say, you know, I have this pool of money. I have four children. I want it divided into four shares. I want three of the four shares to go outright, and I want the fourth share to be in trust. And once you kind of, you know, guide that direction that that's what you want done, then within that document, you give discretion to whoever the trustee is, individual, independent, corporate fiduciary, whoever it is. And you say, I want certain things to happen in order for this person to receive distribution from this trust. So maybe you're concerned about them having a roof over their head. So you're going to direct in that trust document to pay rent directly because you want to always make sure that they have a place to live. But you can also very much limit any other what we call discretionary distributions. Or you can direct that that trustee pay all expenses directly, utilities, rent, you know, basic transportation, whatever it is. You can kind of put those, I, I think you said it earlier, kind of put those rails up or put those boundaries aside. What's important is that whoever you've chosen as that fiduciary, again, independent or individual, is comfortable with those parameters that you've put into place. You don't want to restrict that trustee so much that they can't make a discretionary distribution for the benefit right. of your child. But that is what a trust is for, is to help provide this guidance and protection. I often tell families, sometimes we're not just protecting for outside influences. Sometimes we're protecting them from themselves. Right, right. Well, and and to play that out, um, said child gets their life together. Right. Said child, you know, does well, gets married, gets a full-time job, and they come to the trust and they go, you know, we'd like to buy a house and we could use 25000 for a down payment or whatever. And then you've got the trust to act as a, okay, we can look at, we've got a track record here. This person has grown and matured and been responsible. Why, you know, their parents would want them or grandparents would want them to do that. And that also, you mentioned earlier, I believe, that removes an executor, especially a family member, who now has to play this unpopular adversarial role, not to mention the time it takes. And you've taken that responsibility and said, look, Mom and dad or grandma and grandpa put this in a trust. That's how you get your money. That's right. Well, and you talked earlier about houses. Sometimes the family's most substantial asset is a house. And so we've seen situations where, you know, the other siblings know one sibling is going to need a place to stay. And maybe it's not mom and dad's house, 
but maybe the instruction to the executor or trustee is to sell mom and dad's house and use a portion of those proceeds to purchase a condo or purchase a smaller residence or or again, use that money for housing for that beneficiary who you're not comfortable with getting it outright. So, you know, I, again, I think the the flexibility of an independent trustee and and we're appropriate individual trustees. I We work with a lot of individual trustees and a lot of times they come to us and ask us to be co-trustee with them. So we understand in certain family situations that makes the most sense. But, you know, sometimes it's those individual trustees that are the siblings that are coming to Cumberland and saying, how can we navigate this to the best solution for us as the fiduciary, but also to my sibling who is the beneficiary in this situation? And so having a trust company or independent trustee that can navigate that with the family is absolutely critical. What else have you seen that it's almost like, okay, Michael, this is predictable and many families just miss this opportunity? Oh, great question. Let me, let me think about that for a second. This is, and I, I started to bring it up earlier, so I'm glad you brought that back up. When a family has made the effort, when, when parents have made the effort to come up with the plan, sometimes they don't communicate the plan. Uh. <laughs> um, and sometimes it's the reason that they're fearful is because there's dollar signs or zeros behind it. You know, like you said, sometimes families have, because they don't talk about money, there's no idea or no concept of how much wealth is there, whether it's, you know, just the wealth that they have or it's substantial wealth. And I met, again, several years ago with an individual who he had one daughter who was a social worker whose husband was also in the medical field, so made good money and were living a great life in the Midwest. And he had amassed significantly, he had sold a couple of businesses, reinvested, sold some other businesses and had truly substantial wealth. And he had come up with a number that he wanted to put in trust for the daughter, substantial number. But it was 10% of what he had. And the other 90% he was going to put in a family foundation. And we're visiting with him and going over the plan. And he was making a decision about who to use as trustee. And I said, well, have you told your daughter the plan? He was like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell her the plan because she has no idea how much we're worth. And I said, well, that's okay. You don't have to talk numbers. But it's really important to tell her the plan because in addition, he wanted her to participate in the foundation. And I said, you've got a great plan, a generous plan. You have the mission for what you want to have with the substantial wealth going forward. But I promise you, if you don't tell her that that's the plan, minus the numbers, it will never be about what you gave. It'll be about what you took away. And you didn't take it away. You just made a plan for it. Yeah. But if I were her, just knowing the experience that we have over and over, I will be grateful for what you put in trust. I don't want to diminish that. But why did you not trust me with the rest? Or why didn't you ask me if I wanted to be a part of the foundation? Or why didn't you let me know that this was what was important to you? And so I think we've all been in situations and had family members, and it's, it has been generational over time about the things that are taboo that we don't talk about. But again, if you've gone through the exercise of making the plan, it really isn't about the dollars and cents. It's about letting the family know that that's what's important to you, that you've taken the time. Um, so as I said earlier, it's a gift. So feeling comfortable. And we help families do that too, Michael. Sometimes they're like, we don't even know how to start that. And if you can sit a family down around a table, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's amazing the questions that will come out. And we can also sometimes be that independent but safe place sure. to do that. Well, and back to your earlier comment about uh, a divorced, remarried family with children and stepchildren, I can't envision the complications of wealth there and not being communicated. I have a, a friend in another state who's uh, – 
father divorced when he was young. He remarried, and all the interests and all the money went to the new family. And when uh, his father passed away, he basically got nothing, and he watched his dad's new wife and the children they had get everything. And uh, hes it's still a tender, disappointing, hurtful thing to him, and he's my age. And I would understand that. You know, had that been communicated, hey, guys, I'm giving this all to your – they never called it a stepmom for obvious reasons, but be that as it may, this money's going here. Uh, at least the heads up would have been less painful than finding out after the fact. Well, and I've also, Michael, seen it go the other way. You know, dad is ailing, current wife is caregiving, but financial power of attorney or decision-making has been put in the hands of the oldest son who's, you know, a child from the first marriage. And, you know, dad passed away and mom's, you know, second spouse, but been wife for, you know, 25 years is left absolutely desolate because everything's been funneled to the children of the first marriage. So, you know, sometimes, again, the best laid plans or lack of best laid plans, you know. And so I I do think sometimes when we get an opportunity, my business development team spends about 25% of our time doing what we call future business engagement reviews. It's those opportunities that we might serve in five years or 25 years from now. We're working with those families on those estate plans. And like you said, the earlier they start, you know, the more opportunity we have. But I think being able to participate with families that way, it's really kind of, you know, a great estate planning attorney drafts a great document. A family sits there and tells us what they really want. And we read those documents and say, there's a difference between what is written and what you're looking to accomplish. So let's make sure that this carries out the wishes that you want. Or from the time you drafted into today, you've changed your mind about what you want. So let's make sure that, you know, we're able to execute your plan the way that you want it done. Well, and, and Cindy and I often share our story that in our 43 years of marriage, I, I think we've had five planners, and it's only been the last planner we've had that was helpful in the sense that just take our money and invest it and tell us, you know, we're fine. And and this team meets with us regularly. They send me emails. I got one the other day. I'm disclosing too much information where they said, you need to start drawing on your Social Security this month. I went, What? <laughs> So I have a few emails going, explain this to me. Why? You know, I thought I should wait till I'm 70. No, start now and hear the reasons why. But they are what I call full orbed. And they helped us with some products we did not know exist. And Cindy and I are both pretty good with money, but they helped us with things we didn't know existed. And of course, you live in this, the tax codes and the way of state, they change all the time. So it's almost twice a year now, not just an annual review. But in the, I'm going to say now, maybe seven years we've worked with this group, I bet we've changed our plan significantly five times because of the changes in all the above, not just one thing. And again, it's like, why would you not go to an expert if you needed you know, back surgery or you had cancer? Why would you just go to the first doctor who said, yeah, take some pills? You'd want to have good information and So on that plan, as Dave Ramsey would have baby steps, the first baby step in this process would be a financial planner. Is that right? Absolutely. And your planner is going to say, okay, let's talk then about do you need a trust and how that would be managed. And that's when someone like Cumberland Trust or you would come alongside and say, okay, let's talk about those goals and objectives and dreams and start getting an idea 
on what that means in the next five, 10 years, which will obviously be here tomorrow. Well, and and we get calls from two situations. Often we get calls from the planners themselves. Hey, we've got a client, we're working, they have an interesting situation, or they want to know how this works, or they don't have any children or family members, like how will that work? Mm. So a lot of our introductions to families come from the financial advisor planning community, or they've gone to a state planning attorney. So they saw the planner, planner either made a recommendation or they had a relationship with a state planning attorney. They have drafts of documents as part of their plan. It's been recommended that they have a trustee, individual or professional trustee. And so that, then we'll get the call. And so before we sign our documents, we want to talk to you. What here's our family situation. Here's the circumstance. How should we do this? Make sure it's all done. So that's typically the two ways we get pulled into the conversation. And then once we know that there's a future appointment for Coverland, again, could be five years, could be 25 years, we want to make sure we stay connected to that planner and to that family and just pull those documents out and dust them off and ask the questions. It looks like here that you named a brother as the initial trustee to serve with Cumberland in that role in the future. And they were like, oh my goodness, my brother passed away last year. We need to update those mm-hmm. documents. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So, yeah. but yeah, so steps is good planner. And what I was saying earlier is it's so hard sometimes to change those relationships, but you know, having enough kind of knowledge or conversation to push that planner to make sure. I think also the industry has trained so much, Michael, in the last probably 15 years. And those stockbroker financial advisors are much more into the planning aspects of what what is happening. And so you're seeing that kind of move through the industry. So more advisors are doing that and should be able to provide that level of service to clients. Well, and you mentioned the financial plan changes, even in our, you know, Cindy's in my world and income levels. It's been dramatic what's changed from when we first started to where we are. And that's not necessarily our wealth changing, just the rules and regs. And uh, even HSAs, for example. Yeah, IRA space is completely changed. Uh, yeah, unbelievable. And I feel for, you know, and I talk to people, I don't want to spend the $3,000 for a planner. I go, then you're wasting about 10000 because you don't understand what you're missing I'll never forget the HSA uh, lesson I got several years ago going, stop using your HSA, invest it, cut up the card. And I go, what? And they go, can you pay a $20 copay? Well, sure. Then don't use your HSA card because that's pre-tax, no tax, and it earns interest in the bank, and there's no tax when you take it out. I mean, you're kidding me. So now we've got all this money in an HSA account that in our 60s we are utilizing. Again, I would, and, and we're not slow people. That's something we would have never known had we not talked to a professional. It's professionalization. Yeah. And we that's that's not where you spend your time right. in specialization. Right. So like you you're absolutely right. You know, making that investment and working with those professionals pays dividends in, in completely different ways. Final word from Cumberland Trust. What do folks need to know that I didn't ask you? Oh no, we love that Ash. We're here in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and we have offices across primarily the southeast as far as Texas up in Pennsylvania, we're the independent trustee. And what I love about what we do is we decided a long time ago not to manage assets so that we get to work with all these amazing planners and attorneys across the country and really get to spend a deeper level of commitment and engagement with the families and support of those attorneys and advisors. So we love this industry. We love what we're doing. And we've got great people to help support you and your families. So that's what we're here for. 
There'll be information about the Cumberland Trust, as always, in the show notes. And if you want to reach out to Michelle, you'll be able to email or contact her. And if they can't help you here in Tennessee, I'm sure they have connections of where you might be. I know, Cindy, I've already referred a number of our friends who live out of state to Cumberland Trust to say you need to talk to these folks to see if they can be of assistance. Michelle, thank you for your time. I appreciate what I would call a ministry to people and to generations and families that are in our future. So thank you so much. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.